You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop, the podcast that's a little bit of everything with a K-Pop twist. From pop culture critiques to the history of K-Pop to interviews with people in the K-Pop industry and K-Pop artists themselves, to concert and album reviews, to a deep dive into the discographies of different K-pop artists, to K-pop news updates, to stories about the music industry more broadly. This show tries to cover everything about K-pop and K-pop as it applies to the larger music and concert scenes. Visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com for more information about the show. That's 17-C-A-R-A-T-K-P-O-P-W-E-E-B-L-Y.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. Today, I am recapping my favorite things and least favorite things about Digital KCON, K-Contact, which took place last week. I'll start with my six yays and six nays, and then move on to 17 random thoughts I had while watching the show. 17 things that I just want to share, 17 things that are just noteworthy ideas, comments, questions I had during the show, just kind of my inner monologue. But first, a few quick PSAs. First of all, I have two new interviews that just dropped. My conversation with songwriter Andy Love is now live wherever you subscribe to the podcast. And my interview with Yumin, who is about to debut April 8th, is now on the 17 Karat K-pop website. If you go to the interviews tab, it is at the very top of the page. I got to talk to her about her days on Capteen and how she wants to stand out as a YouTuber and a solo artist now. Very excited for her official debut. Hopefully I can help hype it up with that article. So make sure you check out those interviews. Another thing I want to clarify is that I want to be honest about what I loved and didn't love about K-Contact. Please keep in mind that I'm just being a critic of the show and I want to really critique it because if I just praised it all, then what would be the point of reviewing it? I want to make an authentic review. So this is all just my review of the show. And if you're a longtime listener, you know... I have immense appreciation and respect for K-pop, K-pop performers, and K-con in general for doing this. This was something unprecedented for them to take on. I'm sure it was a huge undertaking to turn K-con virtual, let alone do it three times now. That being said, I do want to still objectively review a performance because that's what I do. So at the end of the day, please calm down. It's not that serious. Let's get to my recap with the gays and nays. Yay number one for me is the new meet and greet space. This time it was super big and roomy and just pretty colors, just aesthetically on point. With all due respect to E. Gikwan, he was not personally a charismatic host in my opinion. I miss Eric Nam hosting, so that's probably why I was probably cynical towards this new host, but he didn't really do much for me hosting-wise. He just sort of read the lines and went through the motions and didn't really, I mean, it was just, it felt stiff to me. Like, are you having fun? He didn't really pal around with the guests in the same way that Eric Nam would. And just, I feel like I wanted to see more enthusiasm from him as a host for the meet and greet segments. Yay number two has to be the fan zones, which was the event where fans would send in pictures of the room designs decked out in merch for their favorite and then the favorite artist would get to actually vote on one of the four top contenders. And then the winner of the room competition would get then an immediate video call with them to congratulate them and just have that special moment to show off their bedroom full of merch. That was a really cool look into fans' lives, I think. And it really was a nice way to make sure that the people who got those special 
dream come true experiences were true diehard fans. My nay number two has to be the Let's Zoom game and some of the other games because things are so different when you're at KCON in person and any goofy game they want to play is fine by me. I'm thrilled to be there. The adrenaline is going, the dopamine is going. I am just on such a natural high, I'm down for watching them do anything or nothing. They could sit there and do nothing and I would be like, nice job, 10 out of 10. With that environment creating the feeling and the mood being absent and I'm just watching on a computer screen, that doesn't translate. So now some of the games just feel a bit boring to watch and just a waste of time. When it goes virtual, I would prefer they focus more on performances to watch as opposed to watching the games and the more live interactive content that is a hallmark of in-person KCON. Hopefully that makes sense. It just, to me, it was not, it was way too long and especially during the concert segments. The live performance aspect of K-pop I just love so much that I didn't like how much time was spent on this stuff instead. It just felt so drawn out sometimes, and they could have gotten to a lot more songs if they didn't draw it out like that. My yay number three, though, goes to the fact there were a lot of chances for fan engagement, which I really appreciate. There were fan compilation videos playing during performances, real-time YouTube reactions and comments responded to in real time, the video calls, of course. It was a good way to get as many fans involved as possible. But my nay number three goes to the real-time poll. That felt so contrived to me because I really don't think Weed shows what they did. I'm pretty sure it was all pre-planned and pre-scripted because I would see so many more B's than A's and then all of a sudden the host would say, looks like there are more A's. Either make the votes count or don't have a voting segment of the show. My yay number four goes to, one of my favorite things about KCON is getting to see the remixes and covers of each other's songs and they delivered once again. The rock version of Mamamoo's Go Go Baby, the fifth season rock-esque version from Oh My Girl, the boys covering Danger by Taman, oh my gosh, what a moment for me, one of my favorite K-pop songs ever. That was all really great, but my nay number four goes to other aspects of the setlist. First of all, Jessie didn't sing Gucci, which is her best song. There are other instances like that where just my personal favorite was not what they sang, Jin Hyuk did not sing I Like That, which is his best song. And spoiler alert, the reason why I didn't pick 80s when I picked my top five favorite performances, while they were in that 3D sound room or whatever it was called, that was such a cool opportunity to sing a live version of Promise. And they sang Promise, but it wasn't really live. There was just too much backing vocal for my liking that overpowered it. I really wanted to hear raw vocals more than I did because I know ATs has it in them. My yay number five goes to the fashion. It was everything. I don't know who made so much leather the dress code, but I love it. AB6 looked great too with the white and blue denim looks and cool ear chain jewelry. Solar from Mamamoo looked so good with her new haircut, short black hair and the red lipstick with the black dress. And, as I'm going to talk about more later in this episode, I always love seeing TXT in their cute preppy sweater vest outfits, that youthful look. My name number five goes to the timing of the food segments. When all of the K-pop artists were offered a food from the city of the day, that comes from the city of the day, at the end of their meet and greet session. But then they had the up-close, high-touch thing with the camera. So whose idea was it to bring out the food for them to start eating 
give them a few minutes to start, and then have them all look up and go down the line with the high touch. Why not just serve them after that? And why on camera? It was just so, such weird and awkward timing to me. So my yays were the new meet and greet space, lots of chances to interact with fans, some parts of the set list, remixes, covers, etc., fashion, and lastly, the grand finale. It's no hope by SM Town, of course, but it was still a fun moment where everyone came together to sing an iconic old-school song, Big Bang Sunset Glow. My nays, Iga Kwan not being the most dynamic host, the Let's Zoom game and others that felt really drawn out and long, the real-time polling that was pretty much ignored, some parts of the set list, some aspects of it, the food segment, lastly, the breaking lives that they had all the time, because I've got other stuff to do every day, so I just, I, I don't have time for randomly dropping everything and checking out every live stream like I wanted to, so I would have much rather just planned for those. So those are my six nays and six yays. Now let's get to those 17 random thoughts I had while watching the show. We absolutely need some sort of collaboration between Dami from Dreamcatcher and Lisa from Blackpink. It could be dancing, rapping, singing, a mix, whatever they want to do, we need some sort of video, cover video, original video, their confidence, their fierce energy, we just need so much more of that, and so anything Dami meets Lisa needs to happen someday. Number two, Woods really shines as a soloist. As a band member, he of course stood out to me then as well, but this is just next level. When he sang Trigger Live, that was a big moment for me. I feel like I became a much more passionate fan of his after that performance. He just has a really unique voice a really unique sense of style, just a really unique stage persona, and I just want to see more original Solo Woods content. Number three, Everglow's duality goes so underappreciated. Everything they did during their concert was such a on-and-off light switch of fierce performances to their anthemic songs that they're known for, but also just cute moments, smiling and posing for pictures, and just being super cute and wholesome and lovable, so there are definitely some artists who more clearly portray this duality of beast mode and flower mode, as they're often called. I think Everglow has been thrown into the beast mode, confidence, anthemic songs category a lot, for good reason, but I'm just loved the fact that we got to see them in that other light as well. Number four, seeing rookie groups get overwhelmed with tears of joy will never get old. Not just in K-pop, but in any show, X Factor, American Idol, that kind of stuff. Seeing a musician have this dream come true moment, just so fun to watch and so emotional. I remember in the first round of Digital K-Con last summer, when the members of Kravity got to sing a duet with Kihyun for Monster X, their senior in the company, they were so overwhelmed positively and it was just so sweet to watch them have that moment, that ultimate fan's dream moment. And this time it was seeing TO1 as they rebranded. Watch the fans come together and hold up all of those fan messages on pieces of paper on their video screen so that you could see just a sea of positive messages that had been coordinated in advance for them. They truly looked so overwhelmed and touched by that gesture, and we love to see it. Number five, that's another noteworthy thing on this list, TOO has officially rebranded to TO1. We talked about the drama with their previous management at length on previous episodes, so I won't go into it again, but that is the latest update. 
maybe now people will start pronouncing their name right more instead of just two. They'll pronounce it T-O-1 instead of Toll or something. Number six, I don't know if this was supposed to be revealed or if this was an accidental slip, but during B2B set, they mentioned hoping that they're on the lineup again for K-Contact this June. No surprise, but interesting clarification. I do wonder, some other themed annual conventions that usually take place in the summer have already rescheduled for fall, hoping that it's safe enough and there's enough herd immunity by then for them to be able to safely have an in-person convention. So I honestly wouldn't rule that out as a KCON LA in the fall in person. I wouldn't rule that out as something that could happen. But for KCON New York, which is usually in June, that I'm pretty sure is just flat out canceled again and they'll just stick with this virtual format. Not confirmed officially officially, but it just seems super clear that is where their heads are at. Number eight. ATs were joking when they were doing these romantic gestures. We're like romantees right now. And that made me think, you know what? ATs needs to do something with that. There needs to be Romantees merch, a Romantees comeback concept, a Romantees music video storyline. It sounds like the name of a K-drama. It sounds like the name of an ATs web show. Something. They just need to take that joke, that comment made just jokingly and make it into a big marketable thing. That's just my opinion. Romantees is a good idea. If you think that's silly, you should have heard my tangent about Astrobots and how that should be a thing. Astro needs to do a robotics concept, an outer space concept for a comeback. Anyway, I have a lot of harebrained ideas, and this is my platform to share them, so just let me. Number nine. I officially have an N hyphen bias. It's Nikki. But all of the members, honestly, I could really just sense that big hit entertainment magic they have. I always have a lot of respect for when an artist gets me to like a song I honestly didn't care for, didn't think it was one of their best, but suddenly I develop a new level of appreciation for it after hearing the live version. Before, maybe I hadn't listened to it much, not put it on my playlist more than once because I got tired of it quickly, didn't think it was very good compared to their other songs. But then just after listening to the full song live, giving it my full attention, then sometimes I'm like, wow, why wasn't I appreciating this more before? And that is what N-Hyphen did for me with Let Me In. I honestly didn't care for that song, but somehow the way they performed it live made me realize how catchy it really is. And I'm always so impressed when an artist brings a song to life in that kind of way in a live performance. 10. I can't help but always get a little distracted and consumed with looking at Zoom audiences when they're at events like this. This crowd was quite diverse, I noticed, but I really would have loved to see more guys tune into the show, and I just started really thinking for a very long time because that's my inner sociology major nerding out over this stuff, analyzing demographics and whatnot, wondering how much social conditioning prevented guys from tuning in because I know there are a lot of, I've seen them in person at concerts, there are tons and tons of guys and and anyone who doesn't identify as a woman who also liked to go to K-pop shows. That diversity I see on the ground at these events was not reflected at all in the Zoom crowd, and I just wonder if being put on display for a globally televised event, I'm just wondering if that deterred some guys from participating. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I just wonder how many guys are hiding their appreciation for k-pop because they fear being made fun of or it being called girly whatever that even means it's just sad how much social stigmas shape what people think they can be public about liking 
And I just think there are a lot of K-pop fans who don't fit the screaming teenage girl stereotype who would actually go to KCON and stuff if they felt socially permitted to do so. And the fact they don't is really sad because then it just perpetuates the stereotype and it's a cycle, right? So if you have an interest and fear judgment for it, then you don't share that interest. So then the public perception is, oh, only teenage girls are into that, for example. And so then you further fear revealing you like it for being made fun of or whatever. And so then when you don't publicly say you like that stuff, public perception is still, oh, look, it's only loud and proud teenage girl fans who exist. And it just keeps going. So anyway, just something I was really thinking about as I saw the show that I hope people didn't miss out just out of fear. Number 11. Oh My Girl Deserves Their Brave Girls Moment. I broke this down in a previous episode. You know what a brave girls moment means now. We should just make that officially part of the K-pop fan official lexicon. Oh My Girl Deserves Their Brave Girls Moment. They toured in the USA, and when they did, it was sparsely attended to say the least. Ticket sales were really poor, even for small venues they couldn't fill. And love it or hate it, the fact is that when K-pop groups try to break into the USA market and it can really deter their whole career going forward. It is viewed as a big milestone of you can make it in a global sense or not. That's kind of a litmus test at the USA tour. I would argue that was part of the many factors that led to Wanna One's disbandment because when they came to tour in the USA, ticket sales were really poor. So it would not be surprising to me if that had also been Oh My Girl's fate. But then after that tour attempt, they released Nonstop which is a K-pop classic in the making, truly. They're finally getting the praise and attention they deserve for being K-pop artists, and it's really cool to see. They need that, they deserve that revival. And if you're wondering what the big deal is specifically about Nonstop, I think it's because it's a mix of classic K-pop elements and just modern trends. So they took the cowgirl chics, mixed it with teddy bears and pastels and just all sorts of cutesy stuff mixed with a catchy song and a super easy to recreate a TikTok ready dance challenge routine. It blended classic K-pop with just trending pop culture details to create a unique mix that was classically Oh My Girl, so I do think it was a big cultural moment. Number 11, I wanna see more of these reverse fan signs going forward at these events, at virtual meet and greet type of events where K-pop artists pretend to be the fan, and the fan who gets to video chat them pretends to be the famous artist and sign an autograph for them. I just think they're super cute and fun you to watch, and I would be floored to see my idol pretend to be starstruck by me. Number 12. The award for best backup dancers goes to Sunmi, because her backup dancers help make mask wearing look sexy, which I always appreciate. And numbers 13 through 17 on my list are my five picks for best performances. Fifth place, I picked Dreamcatcher. I freak out whenever a relatively newer K-pop group covers a song from an older K-pop group, relatively, and they perform My House by 2PM, which was honestly one of the songs that was one of my first favorite K-pop songs. When I thought about 10 big songs that really made me feel like I'm a K-pop fan now, one of those was My House by 2PM. And they performed a really cool new rendition of that song in Suits, they looked incredible, they sounded great, really enjoyed it. Fourth place, I put an hyphen because, like I said before, they got me to appreciate the song Let Me In. They also covered Block B's Very Good, which was another moment for me where I felt like, oh my gosh, the generations of K-pop stars are colliding and making me feel nostalgic 
third place, I said Ace. Intro performance, I think, had the best background designs, the prettiest backdrops to it. Plus, when they sing that OST, I loved seeing that side of them as well. They got to show their, their fierceness and the softer side, too, like Everglow did. Those are the artists who I really, really appreciate seeing at these types of shows. Second place, I said Ha Sun Woon, because his set was just really cute and quirky. He started with Curious, and during that song you could see this cute little video game avatar behind him. He had the avatar of himself on the screen, and then the real Ha Sun Woon showed up. You had to be there, it was super cute, and a, a nice, clever new intro. And number one goes to TXT. Because they had the most entertaining concert and meet and greet at K-Contact this year. So that's why I picked them, because some artists, the meet and greet part was just not as interesting. I'm sure it was fun for them, but to just watch, it's not as fun. Certain games, you know, charades-type games, or do-this-while-blindfolded games, they're just not as exciting when you're just watching on a computer screen. Maybe in real life it's a bit different, but even then I'm probably... I'd prefer they just, I don't know, do a more engaging game, but TXT's was actually fun to watch with the relay skills they had to show. That was actually really fun to watch. And then, of course, their performances are never boring because they have that, that magical energy. They really do. It's like magic turned into a music and dance. It's this jovial, magical energy that comes from their performances. Shameless plug, check out my TXT dedicated episodes of the show, to understand what I mean when I talk about that. And then, of course, the cute little preppy school uniform outfits they wore for their meet and greet. That youthful energy, that inner child they allow fans to tap into that I really appreciate. Also glad that this time what was different is that Mamamoo came as a foursome. Hwasa was back with them after an injury when they performed at the first K-Context. Them as a foursome we love to see, especially after they're not a foursome temporarily. I loved, again, how there were fans that called in from all over the world. I actually did keep tabs, and the people who got the one-on-one -on -one video call experiences came from different parts of the world in roughly equal amounts. And I really appreciated that. I also appreciated bringing back the real-time translations that were actually, I think, faster and clearer than they have been in the past. I did not like that the custom sneaker giveaways were gone, but of course other signed prizes were available, but just that's something I would have loved to see again. I am torn about if I like the fan cheers. This time that was another difference where there was an audience cheer you could hear, a canned cheer, people weren't really there in person. At times it actually made, I think, the show feel better and more realistic, but at other times it felt a bit too much. Like, okay, we get it. We're going to pretend we're here in person right now. And it was a little distracting sometimes when they would zoom out from the stage to see all of the computerized fake crowd of light sticks and whatnot. So some of the fake crowd imagery was just a bit too frequent to be the escape I think they wanted it to be. Some of it was just distracting. Another downside this time was that Eyes One wasn't there. And they were really sweet and had one of the cutest fan in interactions last time when they were there. Really just disappointed to see that Eyes One is not back. It would have been a cool send-off for them. Last downside I want to point out is that there was no theme of hope for the day. The themes were different parts of the world, Tokyo, Bangkok, Paris, and LA. And so instead of making a theme about an adjective, there was not a day dedicated to hope this time. I'll take that very personally. All in all, a worthwhile watch though, and 
and really just solidified for me how much I miss in-person K-pop fan events. Really, really excited for the day when those come back. Thank you all for hearing my thoughts. Feel free to share your own with the show on social media, and we'll see. Hopefully we can manifest some really good, exciting acts for the June K-Contact lineup. Maybe Seventeen will be there. I would lose it. Last thing before I go is a new action item for you. Please watch the documentary Disclosure or similar ones, hopefully both. It's on Netflix now, and it talks about transgender representation in Hollywood over the years and how that has shaped public perceptions, stigmatization of transgender people, things like that. Please watch it with an open mind and stay informed about what is happening to, especially if you are a cisgender person like myself, what is happening to the transgender community because lately there have been so many bills passed that are fueled by misinformation and hate that would just stop some kids from getting to play on the sports team where they feel most comfortable. And some people think, well, there is a biological advantage biological males have, and so they shouldn't get to play on sports teams the way that conforms to their gender because that might be unfair. There actually is not research to support that. I could go on and on. There are a bunch of other stereotypes that have been debunked. So please read into it and be assured that what is more harmful than any possible advantage or disadvantage of letting a kid play sports is nothing compared to the harm that it causes when they can't just do what makes them have fun and feel a sense of joy and passion. So please just let kids play. Lots more for the show to come this week, so keep tuning in. Thanks for listening today, and I will talk to you all very soon.